Have you thought this through? No way will that work. Are you sure? Is there any money in that? You'll never make any money doing that. How are you going to pay the mortgage? Just get a job. Are you going to try to sell that? Why can't you be normal like anybody else? All right. Were your parents morons too? The savvy entrepreneur to the rescue. Congratulations. That really turned out well. That was a really good job. I'm getting ready. I'm ready. You know, I wish I thought of that. I never thought I'd even want to I'm so glad you're here. I wish I had the courage to follow my dreams. Hey there, folks. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. We're broadcasting here on WLCB 101.5 based in the greater Chicago, Milwaukee area. If you're an entrepreneur or a small business person or are thinking about becoming one, this show is for you. I'm Doris Nagel, your host for the next hour. I'm a serial entrepreneur, but I've also advised startups and small businesses over the past 30 years. I'm here to share what I've learned and find others willing to share as well. And to help with that, I have guests every week on the show. This week's guest is Melissa Letterer, who's the Chief Experience Officer at MHUB, an award-winning business startup ecosystem for manufacturing based in Chicago. MHUB, according to Melissa, is a leading manufacturing innovation center. It's designed to help ensure that the manufacturing industry, which has been so important here in the Midwest over the years, continues to accelerate, grow, and thrive. The MHUB community includes over 350 active and alumni startups supported by a deep talent pool of product designers and developers, entrepreneurs, engineers, and manufacturers, and a host of other experts designed to help support commercialization of new manufacturing-related businesses, resulting in intellectual property growth and creation, as long with revenue and job creation. Since launching in 2017, MHUB has helped companies launch more than 1,200 products, hired more than 2,100 employees, and raised nearly $702 million in capital. Now, just a couple of words about Melissa. At MHUB, she focuses on leading teams that drive engagement, collaboration, and success. She's a seasoned business professional with experience in corporate and agency settings. She was a member of the founding team of 1871, which is Chicago's innovation hub and is well known throughout the region and frankly, throughout the country and even the world. Following her time at 1871, Melissa helped found Chicago's healthcare incubator and innovation center called Matter where she was responsible for defining and building the Matter brand and managing the company's marketing and communication functions. She previously served as the Senior Vice President of Marketing for a company called Q Interactive, which was formerly called Cool Savings, where she was on the leadership team overseeing all the marketing, communications, and creative functions. She was recognized in 2019 and 2020 as one of Crane Chicago Business Notable Women in Manufacturing. So with that introduction, Melissa, thanks so much for being on the show today. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur. Doris, thanks so much. Wow, that was a that was a great intro. I feel like you 
I covered it. We can be done, right? No. <laughs> so in the intro and material that you gave me, it says MHUB was founded in 2017. Why was it founded specifically? What need was it designed to fill? So, you know, I think you, you threw in an idea, which is that the manufacturing sector in the Midwest has always been a really important part of our economy, right? We've always been a nationally, if not globally recognized manufacturing leader. I think that if you look at manufacturing and the manufacturing sector over the last several years, there isn't necessarily this perception, if you will, that there's a lot of innovation coming out of the sector, that there's a lot of new talent going in, that they're seeing a lot of innovation and change. And, you know, the city, the state really looking at how do we continue to evolve and infuse innovation into a sector where we have leadership? How do we connect the dots between this robust technology and innovation community that we have with various sectors where we thrive as an economy? That's really where it came to be. So if you go back to my experience at 1871 Matter, 1871 was really the one that kind of, I think, started this entrepreneurial community in Chicago and the region. And then the city started looking at various sectors. Matter became a way of supporting innovation in healthcare. An obvious transit, you know, transition to say, well, what about manufacturing? And yeah. that's really how MHUB came to be. It's interesting and kind of sad in a way. I mean, I feel it personally. I grew up in a small town that was centered um, around a general electric plant, and it's it, there's a little bit still there, I think, but it uh, offshored a lot of the jobs. And my little hometown is, there's hundreds of those kind of little situations. So it's unfortunate that the Midwest has gotten this label of being the Rust Belt, meaning kind of, you know, what's left of, of big manufacturing. So is there a particular area of manufacturing that MHUB is focused on? We really look at it broadly and focus specifically on physical products or hard tech. So any tangible goods really across many different sectors and within manufacturing. You know, I think what we've become really good at because of the sort of density of talent within the community, which is a lot of engineering, electrical, mechanical engineering, is that there's a lot of connected devices. So really, as you kind of think about where manufacturing is going, automation, integration, process improvement, a lot of that is really how do you, how do you improve process? How do you, you know, become smarter and more efficient? And that's really all of this connected or more try, you know, tied to electronics and things, which is really what we're good at. But it, it's a really across everything. So consumer products, robotics, med tech, you know, it, it's really across. The Internet of Things, probably, right? Right. We're just touching everything today. Where did the funding come from and the, the energy to create AmHub come from? What got it started? Well, so great question. You know, so we were really incubated out of World Business Chicago, you know, which is the, the economic office, the public-private sector office of, of the city. And we are a nonprofit. We're a 5013C entity. Uh, the dollars came from corporate partnership at an early stage. 
there was a belief from large manufacturers within the region that there was an opportunity here, that they wanted to be a part of it, both for the philanthropic, but also very much for the business opportunity, right? To have a pipeline into early stage innovation to connect the dots there. And so we had folks like GE and Marmon and Molex and UL who were all buying into this idea of this innovation center that they could get behind and, and you know fuel the manufacturing sector. So really that's what helped us get off the ground. Great. Is there a, a link at all to any of the local universities? I mean, you mentioned engineering talent. Obviously, University of Illinois at Champaign-Urbana has one of the world's premier engineering programs almost across the board of types of engineering and great computer science programs. The, the wealth of university resources is, is really quite astounding in the greater Chicago area and within a, I don't know, 300 mile radius, right? Yeah, you're, you're totally right. And the universities and our top universities in the region are a real driver of a lot of the new technology innovation that's, that's happening in this sector and, and other sectors. We have really tight alliances with University of Illinois, UIC, University of Chicago Polsky Center, Northwestern, relationship through Northwestern in the garage, um, IIT. There's lots of really incredible talent and lots of new IP and technology coming out of the universities. And when those entrepreneurs sort of start bumping up against the resources that, can pro- that are provided to them through the university, and they look for continuing toward the path of commercialization, we're a great landing pad. And so we have a really good relationship um, and have become a feeder from many of the universities uh, for that, that talent and those, those budding entrepreneurs. What kind of companies are you looking for to be part of M-Hub? And how do companies find you or how do you find them? <laughs> Great question on how, how to find us. A, a year ago, I would have told you we host a ton of events. And uh, there's many ways to engage and come by and network. It's been a quiet year for that. But we've remained active. There's lots of curriculum and courses and events that we host online. And we're getting back to the in-person. It'll be happening over the summer and well into the fall. I think we'll be ramping up again. But, um, you know, we are active networking within the community, both through the universities that I mentioned and other innovation centers, and really actively open our opening our doors to have Um, individuals come and learn more, participate in a talk, um, you know, check things out. And that's been a great way of sort of spreading the word. We host panel talks on really interesting topics. We have serial entrepreneurs and business leaders come and do keynote talks on tomorrow. As a matter of fact, I'm actually moderating a conversation with the founders of um, Shinola out of Detroit. And I think that's going to be a fantastic talk. They'll be telling about their their journey to Mm -hmm. to develop that brand and why U.S. manufacturing, you know, which I think is really spot on for what we're trying to do. Um, And in terms of what we're looking for, I think our sweet spot is physical goods, right? So hard tech, physical products. And there's a real cross-pollination within the community of hard tech engineers and developers 
as well as software engineers or embedded software engineers, because there's the yin yang there, right? As we're talking about connected devices, but well, there's, yeah, there's not there's not much anymore. It seems that um, doesn't have a software component to it. It seems like Melissa, are the companies that become part of M Hub are they mostly Midwestern companies or Illinois companies, or are they from all sorts of places? Well, it's an interesting question. I mean, certainly the majority of teams are from Illinois and the regional Midwest. That said, you know, we've established something that's pretty unique in terms of what we offer the resources, right? We have a, you know, a 63,000 square foot space with $6 million worth of prototyping equipment, nearly a thousand innovators across domain expertise, access to all these different networks. And I think that that is a pretty unique community or ecosystem that we've established. And because of our tight connection to the regional manufacturing ecosystem, startups from around the country have actually found us. We've had teams move from the Bay Area who say they recognize the resources that we have and they also recognize the opportunity to tap into the regional manufacturing supply chain, um, as well as sort of broader industry leaders who can become customers. So we are seeing more as our name has started to get out and more visible. And we recently launched an accelerator program that actually sources teams from around the world. Uh, our first cohort just joined about three weeks ago for a six month hands-on intensive program that is happening at MHub. And we uh, brought in nine teams from all over. There were three teams from the Bay Area, there was one from London, there was one from Minneapolis, one from Detroit. Wow. Um, and so they're starting to bring in more visibility, but also bring in teams that we hope will put down roots into the Midwest and build their businesses here as well. What is the accelerator called? Is it called MHub as well, or does it have a separate name? So it's formally called the um, MHub Accelerated Incubation. And it is a series of sector-specific, really intensive, hands-on programs where we go through an application process. Teams uh, apply to participate in this program, get accepted into this program, and then they come to Chicago for six months of intensive hands-on acceleration. The first cohort, which I mentioned is on site now, is focused on smart manufacturing or industrial IoT. Nine teams, really interesting technologies from you know wide range of, of things. And then the second one, which we will be announcing in a couple of weeks, will be on medical devices, so med tech. And then likely to follow in energy tech. And what we do is we surround these teams with the resources of access to mentorship, access to industry, but we also bring in corporate partners who are interested in the particular technology area, and they help us define the market on the front end, and then we go source teams that align with their interests, because we think that we're creating market demand on the front end, so that at the back end, there's potential partnership, pilot, acquisitions of those teams within the court. So for the accelerator program, that's a traditional, more of a traditional accelerator model where you actually take a small percentage of the shares of the company as part of the model? That's right. Yeah. So as I mentioned before, so MHub really over the last three or four years has been traditional 
501c nonprofit entity, ultimately to, you know, to support economic development of the region. For the more traditional, I guess, historic kinds of services that M-Hub provides, is that more of a fee for service? I mean, I know you're a nonprofit, but just because you're a nonprofit doesn't mean you give everything away. Right. <laughs> so it's I was just membership. curious what the it's model membership. looked like. Yep. So for the nonprofit, it's membership. The teams apply. It's a really affordable month to month. They pay like for a co-working space. It's, you know, $350. They, they pay to have access to the shared space, to have a place to work, and then access to all the resources that we have. And that includes the mentorship and our curriculum, um, you know, certainly to the prototyping labs and the equipment. And that's really a pay as you go, right? Month to month as they're doing well, they stay. We, we hope as long as we continue to provide value and they scale. Pretty Our program on the other hand, I think you're right. The, the, the cost of the nonprofit to, to participate in MHUB is, is relatively inexpensive. And the whole point is to reduce the barriers of entry for those early stage entrepreneurs to help them be successful. And some of that cost is obviously offset by our corporate partners. Talk about some of the successes that you've had with MHUB over the years. You've got an amazing number of new products and companies that are alumni, but uh, I know people love hearing stories. And so if you have a couple to share, I know people would love to hear them. Yeah, I would love to. Um, gosh, there's so many and I could go on and on. I get really excited when I talk about the teams and talk about their progress. And I, you know, I, I would love for everyone to check out our, our website at mhubchicago.com and learn more about not only what we're doing, but some of these teams, because I think that, you know, it's inspiring and they're, they're all coming up with really innovative ideas. So if I were just to pick up a, pick up a few and Doris, I think I had talked to you about one of these teams, which is Neopenda. Um, I really like this team, female founded, two female founders. They're doing medical technology. They're, they're really thinking about medical devices for emerging markets And their first product is a product called NeoGuard. It's a wearable device that they are targeting for third world countries um, that does continuous patient monitoring. And uh, their first country is in Uganda and it's, it's neonatal monitoring. And what's interesting is that, you know, that they're going after this sort of emerging market first where there's a real need because there's a real shortage of the healthcare you know, the healthcare workers and to be able to manage and monitor more of these babies is really, really important in that type of environment. They also had a bit of a pivot or an opportunity um, through COVID because their technology also allows for, you know, remote patient monitoring. And so they did have some opportunity to expand into supporting COVID. And I just really like where they're going. I like the way that they think, and it's been, it's been really inspiring to watch them grow. There's an other company called 3D Hubs that came to us internationally. We actually were contacted by Rahm Emanuel's office when he was in office about this company um, that was coming from the Netherlands and they wanted to put a home base in the United States and they selected Chicago and it ended up being that M-Hub became their home. 
Um, they were acquired recently by Proto Labs for $320 million. And they came to us about two years ago, but they do on-demand manufacturing and prototyping. And they basically have come up with this global network of manufacturers and 3D printers so that if a customer has a job, they can find the most efficient, fastest production of that job from this network of manufacturers around the world. And it really automates wow. production. That's amazing. Because, right? Yeah. Um, talks about 3D printing, and obviously that's going to be an important component for the transformation of manufacturing going forward. But there's this practical problem of, you know, actually getting the thing printed out, right? So that's pretty cool. And so they're not only, they're not only expediting the process to get the print job done, but they're giving business to manufacturers around the world. And I, I just think that that's a really smart model. And as I said, they were just acquired and, you know, there, there's something there, right? That's a big opportunity. You know, maybe if I one more um, would be New Current, which has been around with MHub since the beginning. They do wireless charging solutions, probably on the later stage of our organizations, lots of different interesting applications for wireless charging, which you can imagine um, within you know, many different sectors is a huge opportunity. They've got customers like Honeywell, but one that I think is really interesting is PopSocket. They have a license, um, they're, they're licensing their technology with PopSocket. Because if you think about phones and you think about like, you know, these thick cases or people have these different things on the back, like a PopSocket, you can't actually charge on your wireless charger today. And they're coming up with a, you know, a, a variation of that so that you can still charge your phone using a pop socket, which will become like a, a, a charger, a wireless charger. So I just think that's also a really interesting one, but wireless charging is such a hot area in so many different fields. How many companies at any one time are part of MHub's traditional program? So we probably have about 270, 275 companies today. We've probably supported about 400 companies since we launched four years ago. And, you know, it ebbs and flows on who's in the space in a given time. But, it, you know, sometimes they're there a couple of days a week. Sometimes they're there more. It all depends. But they're obviously capitalizing on the different resources that they need at the different points in their trajectory. Yeah, I can imagine the conversations around the coffee machine must be absolutely amazing. I I totally agree. And while, you know, I'm not an engineer, I love listening to the conversations. I'm always so fascinated. We also do these design sessions where if there's a member who's working on a program or a product and maybe they're stumbling or they just want some other insight or, from the community, we'll do these lunch and learns, right? Where we'll buy everybody lunch and then they get this whole host of their community members, their peers coming in and they say, here's my challenge. And you just get this wealth of information and talent and ideas that help them solve with one another. So listening to those is just fascinating. How long do companies typically stay as part of the program? You know, the typical timeline of a startup is about 18 to 24 months. And that tends, that's beyond MHub. That's just generally, if you look at 
statistics because within that time frame, they're either going to scale, raise around and continue, or they're going to kind of reach that point of, right, I, I'm not going anywhere and I got to go get revenue elsewhere. Never mind. <laughs> right. exactly. exactly. Back to the drawing board. Right. Right. Yeah. Looking back, and I'm sure you'll you'll draw upon your experience at 1871 and with Matter as well, but talk about your perspective of what makes teams most successful. What are the elements that companies, you've seen so many come through, uh, you, you may almost be able to predict better than most just from the get-go um, who's going to have a decent shot of success. What are those characteristics that you see that make for good odds for a startup company? You know, I think that there's a handful of things that I always think about. The first is really the pedigree of the entrepreneur. And by that, I mean, what's their background? Have they been successful before? Have they, are they a serial entrepreneur? Um, did they come out of that market? You know, what kind of successes have they had in their own career? Um, who else is helping them? Do they have advisors? Are they thinking about mentors? Are there people that are already kind of guiding them? Is the technology disruptive, right? What's the market potential that's out there? What's the competition within that market? Um, you know, how many other players is it saturated? Or are they really coming up with something that's different and unique in a way of solving a particular problem? How willing are they to accept advice or mentorship? How willing are they to pivot? Because a lot of times your first inclination is not always right. You know, how much are they doing customer discovery? Are they thinking about the product market fit? Are they spending time on that? Are they open to doing more of that? Because again, your first inclination is often wrong. You know, those are the kind of things that how quickly do they absorb and adapt? How willing are they to take the good with the bad? How flexible are they to pivot? Really comes down to the sort of DNA of an individual who can handle the stress and the, you know, the ups and downs because the road is very bumpy, as you know. And a lot of times they don't have the answers and a lot of times they may not have the skill sets to fully move a business into something that's gonna be sustainable or real. And they have to be open to knowing that they need help or open to you know, getting a co-founder or finding the right talent to support them. Yeah. To me, those are the things that I think we often see uh, with entrepreneurs who are successful and kind of bubble up to, you know, beyond the sort of fret. It's a challenge, isn't it? Because it takes a certain amount of ego and blind faith, maybe, to start a company and believe that you can make a difference and that people will want your product. So you need to have a certain amount of that because... Um, if you're wired up to sort of say, oh, wow, every time you get feedback and then rejigger things, then you get nowhere. You're constantly noodling. So you can't be like that. But you do have to be able to, to listen. And when you hear the same feedback, maybe a couple of different times, 
you need to be able to step back because having worked with a lot of companies, not nearly as many as you have, but um, I'm, I'm constantly struck by the fact that people surround themselves with the people they know. And so it becomes kind of an echo chamber and by the number of companies who don't really do much market research, they're convinced that it's a neat idea and people must want it. Yes. yes. <laughs> I just read a study the other day that said the number one reason that this small businesses fail is there's no market need. How can that possibly be? You know, that's I'm, right. That's I'm right. Market research. And that is not hard, right? Get out and talk to your customers. <laughs> That's not, it's not a lot of money. It's just time. You have to really spend the time getting out of your own you know, way and talking to customers and really listening to them and understanding what are their pain points and how can you solve that? Right. And what are they willing to pay for? You know, yes. pet customers will say, gosh, that sounds great. And if you ask them all, would you pay a hundred dollars for this? And they say, well, no, <laughs> then you, maybe it wasn't so painful after all. Right? right. That's exactly right. Who is the chief experience officer at the Chicago based ecosystem for manufacturing called M hub. Melissa, before the break, we were talking about some of the success stories and how long a typical company stays with you. What kind of questions should companies ask before they become part of M-Hub or frankly, any kind of incubator, accelerator ecosystem? You know, I think it's really an understanding of alignment with the resources. You know, where are you at in the growth of your product business for us? What do you need? Where are the gaps? How can we help you? Does our resources do our resources align with what you need? You know, for us, an interesting one is we're a community, right? It's an open co-working space and everyone is working together. There's not a lot of room for concern over secret IP. You know, if I'm, if I'm worried about kind of keeping this covert and not letting anyone see it, M-Hub's probably not the right place. Because it's a community where everyone is building. You're not seeing a lot of, you know, stealing of IP. But the, the whole point is that the community and the journey of entrepreneurship can be traveled within a community where you can learn from one another, riff one another, you know, not make the same mistakes that someone else made, um, get value from one another. And that's really interesting because there are teams that have come in over the years, and this isn't just MHA, but as I've experienced it over the other communities where they're really worried about the privacy, that's probably not the person who's going to be engaging in a community with other entrepreneurs. Right. Um, but I think it's really, you know, for, for the general MHUB, do the resources and what we have to offer align with what you're trying to do um, because it's, it's very affordable and it is, um, it is such a welcoming, um, sharing community that I know for any physical product entrepreneur, there's value to be had there. For the uh, accelerator, you know, they're giving up some piece of equity for the company. They're giving up 5% equity in exchange for cash and this program. And, and 
you know, in that regard, they've got to really understand, do we have what it takes to help move them forward and ultimately introduce them to follow on investors and corporate partners and really dig in, right? It's a, it's a bigger investment in um, a decision for them. And I think they just need to understand both the tangible and intangible values. Um, what really to me makes that unique is that the accelerator exists within the broader MHUB ecosystem. And that accelerator gets to take advantage then of all of those additional resources. So while they're, they're a cohort of 10 teams, they get to connect with and engage with these thousand of innovators. They get our broad mentor pool, our investor network, our supplier network. That's really unique because most accelerators don't have that breadth of resources that have already been built, um, you know, for a much broader community. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you how MHUB has evolved. And I think you've already explained in part how MHUB is starting to evolve into more traditional accelerators. Do you see that increasing? I mean, is that an experiment or is that really more of a conscious decision to pivot MHUB um, and help it evolve? So I think that we'll always stay true to the foundation of the nonprofit mission, which is to support a wide, as wide a net as we can of startups and small businesses in the region and try and, you know, infuse innovation into the manufacturing sector. I think what we also realize though, is that we have an opportunity to really double down on high potential teams um, and, that align with corporate interest. And so we know that there's this desire from corporates to connect into early stage innovation, to fill their own pipeline, to fill their gaps, to partner in new technologies. And they don't necessarily know how to get access to those teams, or even if they do what to do with them, how do they de-risk that? How do they incubate a startup? It's very difficult for a large corporate to do that. Mm. And so we're doing that for them and we're giving them access to these teams. And then we're helping incubate them with their involvement through mentorship and access. And at the end of the day, we think that that is a really good model that's really accelerating these teams um, faster than they would in our traditional model, but also giving a greater understanding of the potential investment to the corporate who gets a good look and an opportunity to work with those teams throughout that accelerator program and then make an informed decision on what to do with those startups. Is that an opportunity for their organization? I think yeah. that's gonna grow. Yeah, um, that's interesting. I, I'm curious. Uh, I mean, obviously there's a lot of different paths that companies can take once they leave the MHUB environment. They could be acquired, I guess. They could head towards bigger and more robust fundraising rounds of I suppose their technology could become a, like a tuck under kind of acquisition licensing deal with corporations. What, what do you typically see in terms of, a, of trajectories for companies that have good ideas and are, are successful at developing them? I mean, I think it's exactly what you said. It's all of those things. There are, you know, there are teams like 
new current, you know, as an example, who is scaling their own business and they're becoming a behemoth in, you know, wireless charging. They are, you know, to date, not looking for an acquisition. They're building their market, finding customers, you know, soliciting licensing opportunities with manufacturers for their technology. Um, and, and then there are certainly companies that, you know, I think will become a quick exit. I mean, even if you look at 3D Hubs, who I mentioned, you know, it, it, it makes sense that Proto Labs acquired them, right? They got to a point where they became a really interesting model and it fits nicely into Proto Labs portfolio. So I think that there are, there's gonna be many different roads, uh, certainly growth as a, you know, as an individual product manufacturing business. Um, if the scale is there and the market's there and the opportunity's there, wonderful. Like we wanna help them scale. If it's an acquisition because they've proven a technology that can fit underneath an umbrella of a larger corporate, that's an amazing exit as well. So I think, I think we're, you know, we're seeing across the board there. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Sometimes people with a great idea can launch the idea, but um, you know, everybody talks about scaling as though it's the, the thing you got to do, but some, some business leaders don't really want to scale. Right. I mean, they don't, they want to move on to the next idea, right? That's, that's what they love to do. Absolutely. Because scaling They're is kind of like, you have to let go of some of the fun parts. And now you're, now you're an administrator, you're a, a manager of other people doing stuff, which some, for some people isn't nearly as fun. Absolutely. Where do you see Amha? And you also find that in some cases, the founders that created it. Sorry go ahead. No, go I was just gonna say, sometimes you see the founders that started a business aren't really um, able to take it to that big next phase. And that's when they'll often bring in a, you know, a, a seasoned CEO to run that business, right? right. Um, once it kind of hits that, that scale point. Right, right. Where, where do you see M-Hub evolving in the next, say, five years? Where, where does the management team want M-Hub to, to be and to, to grow? So we, we will absolutely continue to scale the breadth and depth of the resources that we offer through the nonprofit. Uh, we just were actually part of a, a grant. We won a grant from the EDA, a federal grant from the EDA to support scaling. Um, it was actually with us, Matter in 1871. And, um, you know, really part of economic recovery, more access for small businesses, entrepreneurs to be able to, um, you know, build an entrepreneurial business. So I think we'll, we'll always stay true to the nonprofit mission, but we also see opportunities that present themselves in, not only in the accelerator model, but in the investment model. So, you know, MHUB launched a fund a product impact fund, it's a $15 million fund. That fund is what is investing in these startups that are part of the accelerator. And that's a seed fund because usually it's really hard for a hardware entrepreneur to get early stage funding pre-series A. In fact, it's I think it's like 15 to $1 for dollar startup for software to hardware. 
And oh, so we that, feel like we're that's filling, shocking. Yeah. 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 But we feel like we're filling the gap there at that pre-series A, but then there's an opportunity for follow-on investment. So I think we're going to, I think we'll move forward toward a, a, a larger fund, a growth fund where we can continue to invest in these teams as we support them and they accelerate. You know, another piece of our business that's really scaling is I mentioned that we have this really robust talent pool, you know, a thousand innovators in our community. And we've found that manufacturers have come to us and say, you know, I have a challenge or I have a R&D you know, product and can't, we don't have the talent for it, or we're, we're you know, we're, we're bumping up against a challenge that we can't solve. You know, how do we tap into your talent pool? Mm. So, so we've, we've been doing this, uh, we call it tech development. And the idea is that we can help kind of be the middleman for creating opportunities for outsourced R&D. And what it does is it gives the corporates access to this wonderful talent pool. But for the talent pool, it's um, incremental, you know, it's, it's cash in their pocket. And it might be an entrepreneur who's working on their business, but they've got 20% of their time to work on something else. And it's extending their runway of their yeah. own, but giving them opportunities to work on different projects. And that's really a win-win that we're seeing scale. And I think that that's another big area for us to continue to grow in. That's huge. Do you see yourself always being Chicago-based or maybe even expanding? It's a great question. Uh, we have, needless to say, we've been asked uh, many times by other cities, other countries, in fact, about the idea of helping them build a similar model or would we open an M-Hub in another city? It comes up in our talks often. And I think the answer is still... I don't know. Uh, today, after four years, we know we still have a lot to do with M-Hub in Chicago and that we are creating broader tentacles through the accelerator, the fund, to bring in and touch teams beyond Illinois and the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And then is that going to be the next phase that we would open an M-Hub in another location? I think think that it's always going to be up for consideration and we will have to see. But right now, we know there's still so much more we can do here and continue to build this, not, you know, on a national level, even with it being in Chicago. If teams aren't afraid to move to Chicago for six months to participate in an accelerator in Chicago, we know we have something special here and they're willing to come for it. Right. So it's like scaling any business. You need to think carefully about how you scale and... Make sure that you focus on the things that you're really good at before trying to grow too fast. Exactly. So I saw on your website that you're giving tours again. Is that right? We are. We are giving tours again. It just started up. You know, MHub was never closed during COVID. Um, because we're a manufacturing center, we were, we were, you know, allowed to be open. And we always had some good traffic there of teams that were working on products, uh, many teams that were actually working on solutions for COVID, um, PPE, ventilators, and other solutions. Um, but we really kind of clamped down on the broader community coming in. And now that you know Illinois is moving to this sort of open stage, we've begun tours again in the last few weeks. We also are having our first big public event. We're having a 
a barbecue in mid-July, which will bring back the community. It was always one of our best events and, you know, it's outdoors, but we're excited. It feels like things are kind of getting back to normal. Fun. Well, one last question for you. If people are interested in taking a tour or they're interested in becoming part of the community or maybe becoming part of the next accelerator cohort, what's the best way for them to reach you or learn more about MHUB? Yeah. So anyone can visit our website, which is mhubchicago.com. From there, there is a link where you can schedule to participate in a tour and we'll start hosting them again multiple times a week. So check that out um, and check availability. There's also an events calendar on the website, uh, which again, hasn't had a lot, but we're going to start building back up and keep an eye on that because it's a great opportunity to come hear a talk or, you know, network with the community and get a flavor for what we have to offer. Right. The Accelerator program has a separate website. It's mhubaccelerator.com. And that gives a whole overview on that program, as well as the details about the opening of the application window for the next cohort, which is focused on medical devices. Well, I know I am going to try to take a tour one of the next times I'm downtown, Melissa. So uh, it sounds like an amazing place to be part of a community and to, to work like I said, I can't imagine some of the conversations just around the proverbial water cooler. It must be an amazing place. Yeah. Well, it is, it is always exciting. That is for sure. There's, there's always something going on and a conversation in so many different directions that make it really fun and, and lively on a regular basis. But I would love to show you, I would love to show you around. So please come and visit. I want to take you up on that. Melissa, thank you so much for your time today. And thanks for being on the show. It was a delight having you. My pleasure. Thank you so much too, Doris. Before we wrap up today's show, I'd like to talk about a common challenge that I've seen lately with lots of budding entrepreneurs. As somebody who's counseled lots of small businesses and also someone who's a score mentor of many, many want-to-be entrepreneurs, I see lots of people who have a great business idea and that want to pivot, but they really haven't thought through necessarily what it takes to turn it into an actual business that makes money. Many of the people I counsel are just starting out. Some have lost their jobs, Some have jobs but are really unhappy. And it seems like a very large number of them want to start a business doing something completely different than what they have been doing. I guess in some ways that's understandable because if you really hate your job and are really frustrated or bored, the thinking is do something completely different, something you've always had a dream about. Some of these people are civil engineers that want to run a restaurant or graphic designers who want to build a handmade soap business or financial planners who want to start a daycare. My advice first for people who really want to do that 180 pivot and do something radically different, go in with realistic expectations. In my experience, this is a very, very difficult thing to do especially on your own if you've never started or run your own business before. 
you probably don't know much about the industry you're hoping to move into, and there's often a steep learning curve to learn about that and understand the competitors, pricing, and what customers want. It's difficult to start and build a successful new business when you do already know a lot about that industry. That alone is quite difficult, but you'll have little or no credibility in this new field. You won't have any of the certifications or permits and kinds of things that you might need to have. Your network's not here, your contacts aren't there, and you have a much more limited ability to connect with customers in that field. And you'll likely run into challenges with your bank if you're trying to borrow money to do this because they'll ask you about your track record in that and you won't have one. So if you're one of those people that want to do the 180 pivot, my recommendation is to definitely explore your dream. But consider one of three options. First, find a partner who knows about the industry. You may not know somebody who does know that, but spend some time going to look for the, that kind of person to see if you can find one. That way they know the industry and you'll bring other things to the table and it might be a good partnership. A second option is to find a job part-time or full-time working in the market you want to pivot to. So if you own a restaurant, work for a few months in a restaurant or two. If you want to start a daycare, work in one. And if you can't afford to do that full-time, and a lot of people can't, then think about doing it part-time in the evenings on weekends. Now, if that's not financially or physically viable as an option for you, a third option might be to consider buying a franchise in the field you want to move into. There are franchises these days for almost everything. And with a franchise, you'll be buying into a proven system of building a business. Uh, and, you know, a lot of franchises don't even want you to have experience in that field. They want to train you on their process and want you to come into it with an open mind. Now, franchises are not for everybody. They do require a healthy down payment. And because they have a proven system, they often don't have a lot of room for creating your dream candle or your, your unique t-shirt designs or your dream menu and creating new dishes. So that's very limited, but they can really teach you how to develop a successful business from the ground up, even if it's something you don't know a lot about. Some people can't afford the down payment, and if not... Maybe a thought is to develop a three to five year plan where your goal is to start putting away enough money to be able to pay that down payment. But if none of those options sound like something you want to do, either because of life commitments, it doesn't fit with your dream, financial limitations, although I would argue if you can't afford the franchise down payment, you may have trouble affording to start your business from scratch. Uh, unless it's a, a very low investment kind of business. But in any case, if none of those sound good, you might want to go back to the drawing board. That doesn't mean starting and building a business isn't for you, but you might either want to start building your business on the side while you're working at your current job, and that may take, it may take a bit longer than you think, or you might want to try doing something a little closer 
to your area of expertise and knowledge. And uh, trust me, if you do that, you'll save yourself a lot of headache and money. There are also people who want to pivot, but in a much smaller way. So maybe they're an accountant with a larger firm and they want to be a freelance bookkeeper or they want to open their own little accounting firm. Maybe they cut hair for one of the the haircutting chains, but they want to open their own beauty salon. Here you're likely to have the necessary credentials. Your contacts and credibility are in this industry already. You know how the slice of the business world works. You've seen from past employers and even competitors what works and what doesn't. And you have direct access to customers to sound them out on some market research uh, about you know what they like, what they see missing, what they're willing to pay. And if that sounds like you, the smaller pivot, one of the best ways to get started is to put together a little business plan. Don't create the world's most perfect plan or turn it into a some sort of thesis, but create a small little project plan of the things you need. If at all possible, stay employed in this field. Either keep your current job or find another one. Yes, I know this may be painful, but begin taking the many steps you'll need to start your own business while you still have cash flow coming in. Most people are surprised, frankly, how long and how expensive it is to put in place a lot of the building blocks you'll need. So while you're still working, brainstorm a name for your company. Research whether anyone else is using it. Places to look here are the internet, domain name registration sites, and your uh, Secretary of State office, which can tell you whether the name is already taken. If If it is taken, go back and brainstorm some more. If it's free, establish your company and reserve the domain name. Do some market research on your future competition. Go on the internet or maybe even have fun posing as a potential customer. How do they distinguish themselves? How do they market themselves? What do they charge? What kind of demand would there be for your new business? Is there a unique angle you can take? Once you've done that, there's still lots and lots of pre-launch work to be done. You can spend your evenings, weekends, and lunch hours finding someone to help you with a website and begin building it. If you're like most people, this will take a lot longer than you think. If you need brick and mortar space for your dream, find a good realtor and start gathering information on options for leasing properties. Ditto if you need furnishings on your new space. Think about what kind of support or help you'll need, whether it's employees or whether it's contractors or just partners to help you with things like shipping and logistics or uh, billing or customer service. Spend time investing in those options carefully, though, of course, if you're worried about your current employer finding out. Do things like imagine how you'll launch your business, how you'll market it. Start preparing all the copy for that or I think you get the idea. Your personal business plan probably highlight a number of tasks pre-launch that you can be working on. And if you can accomplish most of those while you're still working and have cash flow coming in, that will help get your business off and running much faster and get that new cash flow stream coming in sooner. Because if I can share one piece of advice that almost all the entrepreneurs who've been on my show in the past And the clients that I've worked with say is that everything takes much longer 
and costs much more than they anticipate. And if you can stomach working and continue to work in your current job a bit longer, which hopefully will be easier now knowing that you have a plan and that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, you have just increased your odds of starting a successful business exponentially. One last piece of advice I'll stress one more time. In fact, my guest Melissa stressed this earlier in the show, and I said it above, which is take the time to do very thorough market research. The world out there is littered with failed businesses with really cool ideas, but for which there's no perceived need. It's the number one reason new businesses fail and includes a whole host of missteps like your pitch is off, just isn't resonating with your customers. You lack credibility. Your pricing is off. You're asking too much for what you're offering. Maybe you've misidentified your target market. You know, as regular listeners to the show know, I had a distribution consulting business with a partner. We helped companies find distributors that were better fits and help set up the distributor and the company to sell lots more. We thought it would be a no-brainer because companies often do a pretty bad job with that. And we thought our target market was smaller companies because they mostly didn't have dedicated distributor managers and would need more help doing this. But it turns out the better fit was really the large companies that had dedicated distributor managers. Those were the companies with the resources that could afford to hire us, and they were the ones with enough expertise in-house to understand how much money they were leaving on the table and the steps that needed to be done to make that better, even though they didn't have the bandwidth to do it. But since we hadn't done any market research, really, we spent months and lots of time and money chasing the wrong market segment. Well, all right, I'm off my soapbox for now. That's our show for this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and thanks especially to my guest this week, Melissa Letterer, Chief Experience Officer at MHUB, a manufacturing innovation center based in Chicago. You can find more helpful information and resources on my website, globalocityservices.com. There's a library of blogs, tools, podcasts, and other resources there that are all free. Now, because this show is for you, my door is always open for comments, for questions and suggestions, or just to shoot the breeze. You can email me at dnagel, N-A-G-E-L, at lakesradio.org, and I promise you'll always get an answer back from me. Be sure to join me again next Saturday at 11 a.m. Central, noon Eastern. But until then, I'm Doris Nagel, wishing you happy entrepreneuring.